what do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. All right, we want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. I know if you were listening to our last few podcasts, typically, as you know, I'm the host of this program. Well, what we're doing a little bit different this time around is that my nephew, he actually wants to, to interview me. He's in a process right now where he's trying to discover his own niche and I was privileged enough for him to, to kind of pick on me to say, well, let me know about your journey. I've listened to some of your podcasts, uncle, and I would love to know your journey and maybe your journey can help me. And so I'm flattered, one, that he would see me as someone that could provide some sort of insight for him, but I'm grateful for the opportunity. And so without further ado, I want to introduce to you not the guest, because <laughs> I am the guest today, but I want to introduce to you the host for the Niche Finder podcast today is going to be my my very own nephew, uh, Michael Darius Vick. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He currently is in his last semester at Rutgers University, uh, where he's an undergrad studying. His major is public and nonprofit administration, and he also has a minor in African-American studies. Uh, he's part of the men's basketball team. Now, his entire tenure at college has been as a uh, an athlete and uh, playing on point guard for, for the uh, Rutgers University basketball team. And he loves basketball. I mean, I can tell you from when he was a uh, seven-year-old, he was always having a ball in his hand. And even when he was like eight, he wanted to you know, beat me in basketball. And sometimes he did. <laughs> and so without further ado, I want to introduce you to the host of the Niche Finder podcast today, Michael Darius Vick. What's up, Cuckoo? I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Let's go. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, so. Yeah, I, so so first off, you, you're dropping my pet name, Cuckoo, on, on the Niche Finder <laughs> framework. Okay, so every, all bets are off, man. This is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's cool. All right. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. 
All right, so I just want to talk about first your journey. So what was the, what's your backstory that gets the audience vested in your interests? Uh, that's a question that for me, when I think about my backstory, I, it, it brings me to a place of what made me want to start the Niche Finder framework and even what made me want to write Dream Octane. You know, I spent about 15 years working in healthcare and much of that time I spent working in healthcare the 15 years rather was was me not having my my master's degree or even my bachelor's degree i had an associate's degree in applied science and and i felt like as i was sitting around the table with doctors and nurse practitioners and people who were around the table who had advanced degrees although i was in a leadership position and although i had uh, some level of success happening for me there was still a feeling that i was unqualified and so Instead of just kind of living in that and staying in that moment of feeling unqualified, I said, well, what I could do right now was just fortify myself as much as possible. So I started to get every leadership book that I could get my hand on. And that then helped me to start to see that there are answers out there. And I applied what I was reading real time from great authors like John Maxwell and Stephen Covey and Dale Carnegie and all these great books and writers and authors. And then I even started going to seminars and seeing people like Colin Powell talk about leadership and Zig Ziglar before he passed away. So I'm gonna speak a couple of times. And these different people started sharing ideas that really made a difference in me. And then it, it began to make a difference in others as I started to apply these principles. And, and, and that's pretty much how my backstory led up to me seeing that as I applied these things and other people started asking me questions and I started giving them and tutoring them or mentoring people, they started having the same success or similar success that I was having. Yeah, and I was like, interesting. There's you know, there's something to this thing. And I just worked really hard to document as much as I could to make frameworks so that people could use them. And after a while, again, it just made sense for me to just to write a book to help not just those people who are in the sphere of my influence or contact, but I wanted to help more people. And that's why Dream Octane was born. And that's how the Niche Finder framework came into its inception. Interesting. So it sounds like your internal struggle was feeling like you weren't qualified when you were in the, uh, the workforce with all these doctors and people who had like probably their PhDs in the field that you're in. So what was the external struggle that you were going through? Well, you know, the external struggle that I think that I was up against was the the expectation to have progress. And when you have an internal struggle of feeling unqualified, it comes in conflict with making progress because what happens is, is it almost becomes like a, a self-defeating uh, mindset. And so that's not, you know, I, you know me, that's not really me. I, I want to find mm -hmm. a way to kind of overcome hurdles. And so the external struggles were there. But what I found was when you have the right mindset, you have the right framework and you have good information that you're making decisions on, the external struggles actually started to become my external motivation. And so anyone who I felt may have doubted my ability to to overcome whatever hurdle that I was up against, uh, they became motivation to me. You know, I wanted to prove them wrong. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, uh, thankfully, you know, we, you know, we, with God's help and also great information, I was able to to do a lot of things that I, I felt helped departments and help patients on a whole. Interesting. So I want to know what 
made you even get into the medical field? What was your motivation to get into, uh, you know, science and everything? It's interesting. It was the short answer is Pop Pop, my dad. He sat me down once before, and and I, I really when I was in in college, I was going to switch my major from radiology to journalism because I had this desire to write. And I spoke to my dad about it. And what he said was, you know, daddy being from Jamaica, Cliffy, you have to get a trade bond. And so, <laughs> and so and I said, I say, you know, he just really impressed upon me that having a trade, and for me, this was um, being a, a radiology technologist, having a trade, he said, you go work, work anywhere in, in the world, you know, in essence, that was his pitch to me. And he knew people who were x-ray techs. And he told me like how they were able to, you know, make a life for themselves. And, you know, I, I listened and that's what really made me go into the field. It wasn't until I started studying that I started to see, like, I always liked science and I was always into like anatomy and, and it, it, it caught my interest. And so I just went ahead and although I had signed up for journalism, I switched it back to imaging science. And I'm glad that I did because it's so interesting. I remember after working in the field for maybe a couple of years, that newspapers and you know this was i, I want to say like 2004 2005 i just remember standing out to me that newspapers were laying off a lot of their reporters because a lot of business was going online like newspaper business was being converted to like a, a lot of what we read now or blogs right so and people are writing blogs from their from their, their couch at home and and so and they're popular well that the start of that was early 2000s and I was so happy that I listened to my dad because I had a trade that stood the test of time. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the most recent time with the whole COVID pandemic, it actually made made uh, made a difference to to be in the field. And, and I'm grateful for that. Hey, so Pop Up wants you to get into the medical field and you your your mind at the time when you were young in college, you were more focused on on writing. And so because now you you're writing a book you're working on a book right now and you have your own your own podcast so was there a plan, there a plan for you to be in the medical field and do journalism at the same time i find that there's some people who could probably do that i just I, i'm just not one of them I, it would be hard to do both professions although it's not impossible for me i guess i kind of did that to a certain extent not necessarily journalism but I did start pursuing my dream and my passion of writing um, while I was maintaining my nine to five. And, you know, right now, you know, I work as a I work in administration. I work in the hospital in Newark and um, I work as the director for radiology. And so there are multiple uh, individuals and multiple departments that I'm over. But what I started doing was I started replacing entertainment with engagement activities. And so by that, I mean, like I started giving up what I would normally sit down on the couch and come home and watch television. You know, I replaced that with engagement and engagement for me meant, you know, how can I move my dream forward incrementally today? Like what small thing could I do to help move me forward? It could it be checking off something on my to-do list that's relating to uh, fulfilling my dream. For me, fulfilling my dream was writing Dream Octane. And so how can I move a little bit closer? And so every day I'm just trying to incrementally move there. And, and I've, I've gained a deep appreciation for the process of the tortoise. <laughs> yeah. how, the, how the tortoise would, would just incrementally get there, you know? Yeah. It, it doesn't, 
Like, you know, piece by not piece. In, you're not in competition with anybody, really. Uh, you just really, uh, if you want to see it as a way of probably competing against yourself because you put pressure on yourself. And I think that it's where I think the two can can come together, where you can have what your dream is for me writing, and then what your day to day job is. That is, like I said, um, working in healthcare, and both of them I think have a way of complementing each other. Okay, on your journey, you know, to success in, in the medical field, and you know, having your own podcast now, just talk about what conflicts you went through on your way to where you are now. Well, the conflicts that I found myself up against was finding an answer to a problem, but that answer may not be compatible with the environment in which the problem is existing. And to me, that was a, a lesson that I had to learn that, you know, that I, I actually understand now that when you want to problem solve, and for me in my space that I'm working in right now, healthcare, the solution is often hidden in the problem. And by that, I mean, you know, I talk about this in Dream Octane, as a matter of fact. I think in order, you know, one of the biggest challenges that people often run up against when it comes down to how can I achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And this example is solve a problem. How oftentimes becomes the biggest, becomes the biggest problem. But I, I share in, in um, Dream Octane that how if you put it in an equation, it actually can become the solution. And by that, I mean this. If you take what you need to do and you multiply it by when you need to do it, that will equal how you did it. It's like, you know, almost like an algebraic equation. But then you have to, before you can even do that equation, you have got to, uh, you know, look at how do you derive your what. And for me, how you derive what is you have to answer the question of, why is solving this problem important? So you got to have your why, what's your reason? You got to also have your who or your resources. Who are your resources that you're going to be tapping in to help solve this problem? And then the third thing that helps you to derive your what is where. And, and your where is your, your, your region of interest. What exactly are you trying to focus in on? And I think if you have those three, those first three questions, your, your why, your who, and your where, you have those answers. Now it gives you a, a roadmap for you to start solving the problem. So here's an example. I worked at one location and there were patients who were waiting an extended amount of time in a waiting area. Now, under normal circumstances, you will be waiting after you register. The sinister part of this particular location is that people were waiting before they registered. The long and short of it is, is that we found out the reason they were waiting is that there was a an electronic system, a kiosk that was being used, but there was also a manual process that was being used. And if you weren't in the kiosk and you ended up on a manual process, you on a manual process potentially could get lost, right? Because the people who were registering were constantly registering everybody in the kiosk because it was much faster for them. They had some data already pre-populated for them. So long story short is that we, we wind up going to the the who in that situation, which for me, instead of going and giving them an, a, a reason or giving them the, a solution, I went and asked the question. And that's when I discovered that problem solving is not having all the right answers. Problem solving is really having the right questions to ask and asking the right people. And so when I went to the people who were doing the, this registering, I considered them the experts. I became their resource and, and they helped to solve the problem. 
they wind up giving me a whole list of stuff. Then I put myself in a patient's position and say, okay, what stuff would they want? And after a while, we wind up coming up with something that helps to uh, drastically reduce and then eliminate that possibility of somebody waiting that long from ever happening again. So that in and of itself, I think, is what helped me to come up with solving conflicts that were, uh, I found myself up again. Just ask the experts who are the people who do it every day. Let them know what your reason is or your why. And then once you have that information, you want to implement it. And that, that implementation is called your what. And when do you do it? It all depends on how quickly you can accelerate that. And then now uh, I'm telling you the solution. I'm telling you how I did it. But it's because I went through that equation. Yeah. And so now I want to talk about your niche. What passions do you have? Like what's, what strong interests do you have in life? You know, I, my, my strong interest that I have in life is being able to help people, to help solve problems. I think the one thing that I have that I'm passionate about is is writing. I'm passionate mm-hmm. about public speaking. I'm also passionate about teaching. And so those three things are, have been the greatest passions for me. And if I were to give a number to it, which I do this uh, when I'm coaching people, uh, I will give fives for all of them, honestly. The, all of them may, you know, ignite me. And then there are times where individually they ignite me, but there are times where all three of them are operating all at the same time. <laughs> and so yeah. that's when I really feel like, wow, yeah, I was made for this moment. I want to get all three of those again. You said um, public speaking. You said, yes. and, um, what was the last? The other two? The other two were teaching. Right, so and- public speaking, teaching, and writing. And writing. Where do you think you got those passions from? Because I know uh, Grandma, she's a pastor. She's a strong public speaker. Do you think you got that from her? Honestly, I think it's God-given. I think all of us, in my opinion, when I talk about this in Dream Octane, I believe all of us have something inherent inside of us, right? I think the passion is not necessarily a discovery. I mean, not necessarily something that we pick up along the way. I think it is a discovery, actually. I think we discover who we are by um, and when we go through the niche finder framework, if we can discover it through, you know, what are we good at? What passions do we have? What do we do that we are proficient at? What patterns do we have? What do we do naturally well? What problems do we solve? These are what do we do and it makes us feel purposeful. These are all questions that help to point to those things that are in our lives that will help not only us but help others. So when I share with you the three things that were important to me. I found that they are important to me because when I get ignited, it tends to be because I'm helping somebody with something, right? And so if, and this is why we say in Dream Octane, if innovative change is an engine, then your dream and ability could be its fuel. Mm. And so when we go through this niche finding process of discovering, developing, and delivering your niche, In the book, I really try to hone in on people to let them know that even if it comes easy to you, let's not neglect it. Let's drill a little deeper and let's bring out what you have inside, because what you have inside of you, once it is discovered like oil in the ground, brought to the refinery and polished up, then you get it to the pump. And that pump essentially is taking that niche and putting it into the engine of change. So that's the whole philosophy behind the niche font, the behind Dream Octane and even what we're using with the niche finder framework. That's okay. And what patterns have led you to a higher probability of success? What, what have you done naturally over the last couple of years, day by day, each day that have led you to success now? 
So incremental progress, I think is important, but also writing things down. I'm just keeping it really, really simple and basic. You know, having goals for yourself and writing things down actually help you to kind of stay ahead of the game, right? It helps you to really stay focused on what you need to do and it puts pressure on you. And I feel like, like if you don't manage life, life eventually will manage you. And the people who are managing life are those who have, you know, they have an agenda for their day. You know, they have what needs to get done. They have, you know, Miles Monroe used to say, and I'll paraphrase, in his agenda, he used to have what he must get done, what he may get done, and then what he might get done. You know, and so they all have varying degrees of timeframes. The must get done was on his today list, and the might get done may be on, okay, I'll try to get to it this week. And so, you know, eventually everybody has to find, this again goes back to finding what is your ultimate purpose? What exactly are you here to do? What do you do that is of greatest value to someone else or can solve a problem or make something more efficient? You find that thing, it no longer just becomes a happy coincidence. When you find your gift, you realize if just your gift how actually helps somebody It's not a gift because God gave it to you. It's a gift because you give it away. And I think that's why it's so important that when we find our gift, we understand that it's not a happy coincidence, but it then becomes a responsibility in which we have to set goals and make priority and prioritize getting it out of us and bringing it into an environment that can help somebody else. Okay. What challenges do you have that you have been able to correct? Like whether it was um, writing deficiencies, Speaking of deficiencies, what challenges did you have before that you have corrected over the last few years? All right, man, it's a great question. I think inside of that question, it is you're not going to be perfect when you get started, mm-hmm. but you got to continue to keep going. Uh, I'll share with you the challenge, but I give you this this one example, and we talk about this step number five of the Niche Finder framework. It's called neutralizing your excuses that's blocking your dream. And in that, we talk about the honey badger. And how the honey badger, I was watching on National Geographic. I shared this at one of the uh, podcasts that I did, but I think it's apropos for what we're talking about right now. The honey badger started out on National Geographic's program and the narrator was showing this honey badger going up against a cobra. Cobra's biting after the honey badger. Honey mm-hmm. badger's fight, fighting this cobra. And yes. eventually <laughs> the honey badger, you know, subdues the cobra and the cobra is, is, is dead, right? It's, it died yeah. on him. And then the, the honey badger now looks as he starts to get, I guess, affected by the venom, by all the strikes of the Cobra, he then passes out and he looks like he's dead. But then when he time lapsed, like several hours later, the narrator shows the honey badger starting to move again. Then eventually he gets up and he eats the snake. The explanation that the commentator said was that when the honey badger was a cub, the main diet of the honey badger that the mother gave the honey badger as a cub was scorpions they would eat scorpions and you know at times obviously if they're eating scorpions they're also ingesting a, a low-level form of, of venom or uh, inside of their body but what happened was is that as they get older that diet changes from scorpions to cobras and so when they eat their scorpions it prepares them for the times that they come up against the cobra right and so when we talk about overcoming the challenges that we have, the challenges are really our scorpions. 
that we're eating. And the question is, the more you ingest those challenges, the more you start to take that stuff in and process it and just know that it actually is preparing you for uh, something in the future as you start to move your niche forward, it's preparing you for something in your future that essentially could have killed you before, could have killed your dream. But now because you've ingested your scorpions, you've eaten your scorpions, it prepares you for the venom that you could be up against in your future. And you build up a deep. That's deep. That's a deep level of thing. I like that. That's tough. <laughs> but let me ask <laughs> let me ask you a question now. The challenges that I have come overcome or the scorpions that I have had to eat was confident that, you know, to just try to be clear when I'm writing. You know, I had all these thoughts, all these ideas. As a matter of fact, I'm working with an editor right now and I'm so grateful that she's patient in the process. But the very first time I sent her the manuscript for Dream Octane, the title of the of the email was I'm so embarrassed, you know what I mean? Because it was a whole bunch of ideas that was on paper. Yes, they were in categories. Yes, they were in outline form and all of that. But I still feel like the whole thing didn't really come together. And so I had to understand the challenge that I had to overcome. Instead of me trying to get everything perfect, I could just raise my hand and say, hey, look, I need some help with this right here. And And in being humble enough to ask for help, that was one more scorpion that I was able to eat. You know what I mean? Right. That was one more scorpion that I was able to ingest. And now it begins to develop an immunity inside of me that now I'm not even affected by that thing. Like, I feel like in the process of clarifying what I was trying to say, what I actually discovered was my voice as right. I was writing. I didn't have it before. It was me trying to be a writer. And then I realized it's not about being a writer. It's journaled, speak to the people. Talk to them like how I'm talking to you right now and, and make it a conversation. And and when I did that, it really helped to help me to overcome that hurdle. I mean, there were some other things as far as writing techniques and that and stylistically things. Those are all things that, you know, I think I, I picked up over time and along with working with people. But raise your hand, say I need help, <laughs> you know, uh, and at the times where you get these small challenges, don't shy away from them. Eat that scorpion. It's preparing you for yeah. something you think in the future. And I like the analogy. I like I like how you connect that to to, to life and your writing. So let's go on to your secrets. What what one secret would you offer to your pre-author self that would help accelerate the progress from that point to where you are now? I, so I, I share the secret with because I have a writing group that I work with now and Big Up the Price Church and the Connect group. But the, one of the things that I do and I have the writing group is called How to Become a First Time Author on a Shoestring Budget in Less Than Three Months. Something that uh, we've I've, so far this is session two for us. And I teach what I what I teach in this forum of about 13, 14 people, I believe now is uh, don't try to be a writer. And that may sound like an oxymoron. You're talking, telling people how to write and you become a first-time author. Why are you telling me not to become a writer? For me, I, I teach them to, you know, interview, dictate what you want, what you're trying to say, listen to the words, you know, like Microsoft, for example, has a way of playing back what's on the written words that you have. There's a way of playing it back. It's called read aloud. It's Microsoft uses that. It's, it's on the, the platform that they have. When you hear it back, at least for me, it helps me to hear if stuff is off. And so that helps me to also correct it and say, oh no, this, this this word needs to be changed. I need a conjunction here, or I need a comment. Like it helps me to write, a, um, be more fluent. And then the front end of that now is, you know, having interviews, like interviews like this. You know, I find that some of the analogies that I'm sharing, you know, I say them better 
when I share them like like how I just did today and then mm -hmm. I can just take that audio and transcribe it and then edit it and so I, I really the secret that I would teach myself going back to the very beginning of becoming an author is don't try to be a writer just be yourself yeah. you know just be yourself and find a way to have a conversation with your reader and to piggyback off of uh, secrets I just want to get to another one uh, what secret is a must to have to getting started in your field and staying committed to um, achieving success and growing in your field uh, have a mentor you know have a mentor and, and having a mentor is important and I think if you're determined to accelerate your change having a mentor is probably the easiest way to do that and by mentor I don't necessarily mean that you have to have somebody physically there you can read great books get some great books and you can be mentored vicariously you know through the author I mean the author probably spent some of these authors spend 20 years or giving you 20 years of experience in a book and they've had multiple drafts and refined their thought around a particular idea to like its granular state. So it's been refined and all you have to do is pick it up and read it and ingest the material and see what applies to see what doesn't. And so having a mentor either vicariously through reading great books to solve a problem that is a great challenge to you, to help you overcome whatever hurdle you find yourself against or having a mentor physically that could actually help, whether it be a coach or a counselor, whatever it is that you find yourself going through, I think it's important to have individual or community, a support group that can help get you through something. You know, none of us are islands. A friend of a friend of mine said to me, he shared this quote with me, big up to Fred, man. He said, if you want to do something good, do it on your own. He said, but if you want to do something great, include others. And I think if knowing that as a secret from the very beginning, finding good quality information from good quality people and making good quality decisions on the data that you are receiving from these people and also these sources, the outcome can be something special. And so I just want to go back a little bit. Um, I wanted to know around what age or what time period did you actually find your niche? I know you said it was around after you had your conversation with, with uh, Pop-Up, with Grandpa. Um, but after that, what was your greatest struggle after you found your niche? Well, you know what's interesting is that I've always loved reading and, and I, not necessarily reading as much as writing, right? But I never really, I didn't discover my niche until I did a retrospective. And by that, I mean, you know, Pop-Pop, I share a story in a book about Pop-Pop's briefcase. You know, Grandma and Pop-Pop migrated from Jamaica. They ended up, they both met in Bermuda. Although they both were from Jamaica, they met in Bermuda, they eventually got married, had me. But my grandma came over, or my mom came over to the US with me, and my dad still had to get his papers filed and so on. But he had a briefcase. And that briefcase that it was initially used to carry all his important documents when he came over to the US, it became like a time capsule. And so anything important, he would keep it in his briefcase. And I remember that, you know, anytime your mom, I, you know, I, um, Tasha would, or, or Dr. Manning Gibbs now, <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime when she was a child, she would do something. It would be that first grade, you know, artwork or whatever. He, anything that he cherished, he would take it and, you know, give her some love for it and then throw it in a briefcase. And then for me, he also had stuff that he put in there for me in the briefcase that made the briefcase. And it was oftentimes writing. 
And I remember having this conversation with Papa, actually it was last year when I was talking to him about finishing up Dream Octane. He turned to me and he reminded me, he says, Cliff, you know, you always been into writing. He says, you always really like that. He says, as a matter of fact, I still got one of your, your first book reports no way. where you had poetry written in this book report and you got an A on it and I put it in my briefcase. And so that helped me to see that the things that we have that are inherently good qualities that could benefit somebody else, that ignite us, they don't change over time. As a matter of fact, the research supports this in the book Strength Finders by Tom Rath, I believe. It basically shares a 23-year longitudinal study of children, three-year-olds. They uh, It was done in New Zealand. And three-year-olds in New Zealand, they were watched and tracked for 23 years. And so they did a, a study on them of their traits when they were three. And then they reassessed them 23 years later when they were 26. And they found what the author said is that the one thing that did not change was their traits or their talents. Their talents did not change. And I found that so interesting. And, and that actually in and of itself encapsulates why the niche finding framework and why the dream octane is based on each individual looking back on what they have done well and then uh, you know making a, a decision on their present their present decision on past benefits and past successes in order to better drive their direction or where they're going for their future Man, that's amazing that's that's crazy but uh and then um so anyone who will meet you i feel like they know that you have strong drive great work ethic so i just want you to talk about what what's the level of intensity that someone needs to have in order to achieve their dream? Like what type of drive do they need? I think the drive is so, so important. You have to be able to, to, to move things forward even when you don't feel like there's anything happening, right? Like you, there's this, when I, and so when I was in the executive MBA program, Rutgers University, big up to uh, uh, the Remba program, and we went over to China on, on an international business trip for us to study 10 days in China, just different businesses. We met a guy who was a serial entrepreneur and he taught me something, he was well, the entire class, but I pulled away from his message. He says, when it comes down to uh, starting a business, the advice that he gave us was don't wait, launch and iterate. And what he meant by that is, you're going to make mistakes as you go along, right? You're going to make some, there's going to be uh, issues that happen along the way, but don't wait, launch, iterate, and keep that energy, keep that tenacity, that determination, that drive going forward, because there's so much that can stop you. And as a matter of fact, when I look back on my life, on the things that I have done that I failed to do, it oftentimes was for great reasons. And so if, if we can really see that what we have is a responsibility. It helps us to push through the defeatist attitude of, all right, you know, this is stupid. Why am I doing it? Or whatever it is that we're saying to stop ourselves from moving forward. See it as a responsibility. Once you find what you have that is in abundance and you find that this, this thing that you have that's unique in you can help to benefit somebody else, that's his responsibility. And, yeah. you know, that's really should be what you use to help keep you uh, motivated and stay intense and keep that intensity on what you're doing. Okay. 
And lastly, I just wanted to, um, I want to know, how do you know when to change course versus when to stay on task, when to just focus on your goal? Uh, you know, I, I laugh because every time I ask uh, an expert this question, I always uh, I'm interested in what they have to say. And, you know, and, and I find it's a, the, and, and it's always something interesting that they that they share. Uh, for me, here's here's what I believe. I, I believe once you find what you have that's of value to a particular audience, find that niche you have and you offer it to a particular audience. I think it's time to change course from what you have of value is no longer valuable to the audience in which it once was valuable to. And, and, and I think that's where you need to make an alteration, maybe not necessarily stop, but you need to make an adjustment. Because again, if the end result is I need to, what I have inside of me is designed. If what I have inside of me is designed to be the fuel for this engine of change, but it's no longer moving things forward, it's not moving that engine, it's not powering it, I need to make an adjustment. Sometimes, that adjustment means changing course means changing your environment. As I was doing studying for the dream octane, I came across an interesting principle that happens when you take octane and you raise it to a higher elevation. You know, places like uh, Phoenix, for example, where they have higher elevations, their octane for them is a higher grade of octane, not because they get delivered a higher grade of octane, because they're at a higher elevation, the octane automatically becomes higher. So uh, when it gets in the engine, it's at a higher, in, uh, um, it's at a, um, a higher grade. And I found that to be so interesting. So for us, what would be, and I'm making this up now, so if there's any science scientists listening to, please, I'm completely making this part up, <laughs> but I'm just drawing a word picture. If you have like an 89 grade octane, for example, and you at below sea level, right? That will operate as 89 in your vehicle. You take that same 89 fuel and you raise it to a higher elevation, it may actually operate at a 90 or 93. Again, I'm making that up. I'm not a scientist, but I just know the principle <laughs> is true. The principle is true that it actually raises the, the octane level. And so in changing course, change an environment and when you change that environment if you get around higher elevation people right it automatically will raise the octane that you have to offer the engine of change that you find yourself in you'll know when you're in low level octane because just like a an a engine when you have the wrong if you have a uh a sports vehicle that needs high octane and you put low octane in there what's going to happen to the engine is you're going to start getting engine knock <laughs> right, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna start getting engine now you're gonna know something is off the fuel is off it's not compatible to the engine that is in it needs a higher grade and you can know right. you hear engine knock all the time you got people complaining around you you go to work there's always <laughs> stuff going on it's always they always knock <laughs> they're always knocking in that engine that they find themselves in but if you want to change course if you find like what you're offering is not benefit your sphere of influence change your elevation raise your octane yeah. find yourself around people who can help raise you to a higher level to get rid of that engine knock and help to fuel that change that you're here to fuel yeah no that's facts you definitely you need people to push you take you to that next level yes but uh yeah man appreciate you having me on the the podcast <laughs> let me be the host <laughs> that was fun all right definitely, man, learned, you definitely learned a lot you did an excellent job Michael Darius Vic 
you know, let me give you a round of applause right there, brother. You uh, appreciate it. You thank you. Thank thing. you. And, and, and listen, we didn't even <laughs> rehearse it. You just went straight off the head. You know, I, I appreciate you. And um, and I love the fact that you represent a group of individuals in your age and even in your desire, because I remember talking to you and you were saying that you just you're at a point right now where you it's almost as if you are at that point of that last question you asked me. Like you're going into a whole nother space. And I want to encourage you, you know, just continue to trust God and, and, and his grace for where he's guiding you. Definitely. Know that you have what what's inside of you is important. It's valuable. I wouldn't ever put a just in front of what you do well. Like, oh, I just do this. No, don't put a just there. Let it be what is designed to be, which is really something beautiful, which is something excellent. And it's designed to be fuel for somebody else's change. And so I appreciate you hosting today. Is there mm -hmm. any uh, handles or anything you want to share with people who may have questions for you? How would you want them to get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, you get in contact with me on uh, Instagram. It's young underscore kid underscore Vic. Or you can follow me on Twitter, young underscore MV3. That's how you get in contact with me. All right, excellent. I neglected to mention earlier that I'm very proud of the of everything that you have done. I know basketball has been your interest. As a matter of fact, in 2019 and 2020 season, you know, you were also voted uh, the Defensive Player of the Year for the conference, which yes. is a pretty big award. So it, it speaks to your intensity of playing the yes. game. And I know that you've had that. And I know, you know, God's going to do great things with you. And so uh, if you're tuning in, you got you have the uh, the Instagram account. If you want to reach out to Michael Darius Vic, again, uh, Rutgers athlete extraordinaire, my little nephew. And, you know, I love him. And if you want to get in contact with me, obviously, dreamoctane.org. You can reach us on that and just uh, check out the latest things that we have to offer. And just remember, our mantra is this. Before we let you go, that if innovative change is an engine or your dream and ability could be as fuel. Thank you for tuning in and remember to be the difference that you want to see in the world. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great day.